Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon. I have a little bit of an honor this morning. Not a little bit, it's a great honor. Uh, I get to introduce a very special man to me. Wow, I I didn't even get two words into it. I'm already crying. So, uh, you know, there's not, I don't know if too many people that get to introduce their dad to come preach, but I get to today. So that's awesome. So yeah, yeah. So uh, me and my father, we've been in ministry together for many, many years. And uh, I counted a privilege that he would come and he would stand at this podium today and give you the word of God. Can we just give him a, a rich BFA welcome this morning? Thank you. Thank you. As he comes. Good morning. Good morning. What a joy it is to be in the house of God with you today. And what a pleasure and an honor it is to be introduced by your son, huh? And uh, just to be able to spend some time of worship with all of you. Oh, there goes the water. Okay. There you go. Thank you. You know, I have a great appreciation for this church. Wonderful memories here. My wife and I, Jane. Jane, will you just wave at the people? Many of them may not know who you are. We're glad she's with us today. We have wonderful memories here. This church has a great history. Uh, we, we were here for many years, and part of our family, our own kids, were raised in this church. And they were, um, are we going to shift gears on microphones? Okay. Uh, but they were raised in this church. And now I have two sons, two sons that are in ministry. One's a pastor in this county, and obviously the other is right here on staff at uh, BFA. And what a wonderful gift that is to see that happen. And then to see my uh, daughters in love involved in ministry as well, And now my grandchildren are being impacted by this church. This church has a wonderful history. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, this church was uh, born in revival in the year 1924. That's right. Some people that were hungry for God began to reach out to God and, and to meet together and worship together. And powerful groups came together. Those people did not realize what God was getting ready to do back in 1924. They did not know the great church that was being birthed. They did not know that out of this would come many, many, many missionaries that would be all over the world and pastors that are serving all over this country, and more importantly, the thousands of people that would be saved, filled with the Spirit, and brought into maturity in their relationship with God. Can you say praise God with me today for the ministry of this church? And look where you're at today. Look, look what God has done through the sacrifice, through the sacrifice, the commitment, the resources that people have given this next May, if I have my facts right, in May of 2024, you're going to have your 100th celebration as a church. And I'll tell you, you have a lot to praise God for. Amen? <laughs> really is true what Ephesians 3.20 says, that God can do more than we can ask or imagine. I'm sure those people couldn't imagine what God was getting ready to do over the following decades, even through now. I want you to know that uh, we love you, and Jane and I are praying for you as you are in the process of selecting a new lead pastor. There's a couple verses I just want to share with you before I get into my message that we usually identify as individual personal scriptures than they are. But I also believe that we can apply them as a church. First one, well known. Psalms 37, verse 23. The footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. 
I believe that. The footsteps of the righteous order of the Lord. He will guide our lives. And not only as individuals, but I believe that God will guide congregations. Amen? The footsteps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. What does that mean? That if we'll seek him, he will guide us and he will direct us on what the next step should be. And that just dovetails into what Hebrews eleven six says, that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And as you seek him as a congregation, he will reward you. Can you say that with me? As we seek him, he will reward us. Say that again. As we seek him, he will reward us. And I believe that for you today. And I agree with you about that today, that God is going to give you clarity and confidence and give you his absolute will. I want to talk to you today about something that I think is relevant to all of us, regardless of how long we've been Christians, what our age might be, or even how long you've been a part of this congregation, whether you've been here many, many years, or whether you're just a new attender, new believer that's come in to be a part of this family. I believe that God wants to encourage us today to not just look at the wonderful, fruitful history of the past, which is wonderful, but he wants to encourage us to look forward and to make a commitment to finishing strong. It's so important that we finish strong in the plan and purpose of God. So today I want to share a text with you that you would think would be about the resurrection. And although the context of the text is about the resurrection, my text itself is about two people who made choices to finish strong. They could have gone a lot of different ways, but they chose to go the right way. And when they did, God honored that and wonderful things resulted as a result of their choices. You see, when we look at our journey, we know that there are many choices in life that come our way. Some of them have lived a little longer than others. I, I see some of that white and gray hair out there, and, and uh, I'm, I'm among you. But along the path, there's lots of choices that come our way. And as a result of those choices, we have to pause and we have to pray and hopefully make the right decision. And so today, I want you and I, as we consider these two characters, I want you to know that God is looking at each of us and desiring each of us to make the right choices. So in John chapter 19, beginning at verse 38, after this, referring to the crucifixion, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, take note of that. He was the disciple of Jesus, but secretly for the fear of the Jews. Asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus, and Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and alloys, about 100 pounds. Sometimes when we think about what occurred there in that process of preparing the body of Jesus, we think about a little canister, we think about a little jar, we think about a little bottle of perfume, 100 pounds. That was not inconspicuous. So I want you to remember that. They took the body of Jesus and they bound in the strips of linen with spices as the custom of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. This garden tomb was not the property of Jesus. It didn't belong to his family. It did not belong to his disciples that were public disciples. Scripture says that this particular tomb was the property of Joseph of Arimathea. 
I don't think he had any idea that when he was making his pre-need burial plans, that it was going to become known as a place of life and be celebrated for centuries to come around the world. He had no idea that it would represent the epicenter or ground zero of the Christian faith. All he knew is that in his own personal need, in his own personal life, that he would need a place to lay his body or his family to lay his body when his life had come to an end. But I want you to notice something. The purpose of that plot or that tomb was designed differently in God's heart and mind. You see, when Jesus had been crucified, it was on a Friday, and Friday was the sixth day, right, of the week, and the next day was the Sabbath. And as the Jews, they could not do anything on the Sabbath in preparation of a funeral. So what they had to do is they had to move quickly after the crucifixion had happened on Friday to get permission to get the body of Jesus so they could quickly, in a nearby place, prepare his body and lay him to rest. I want you to notice something. These people that we're going to talk about for a little while here were people of stature. They were both wealthy men. They were both leaders in the community. They were people who had uh, resources. They were respected. They were considered rulers. But they had something that they were dealing with that some of us deal with to this very day, and that is fear. They were afraid of their own Jewish religious community. They were afraid of the people who they were a part of. But they finished strong. Can you hear that today? They finished strong. They made the right decisions. They made the right choices. And as a result of that, wonderful things came forth and were celebrated for lots, lots of people all over Israel. Now, I want to tell you this morning as we talk about this, finishing strong, there's four points. I just want to share four points with you. Uh, and uh, depending on time, I'm watching the clock. I may hit some stronger than I hit others. But the four points in finishing strong that apply to you and me as an individual, I also believe apply to a congregation. I believe they apply to us as a group. So the first one is we finish strong when we overcome the fear of rejection. We finish strong when we overcome the fear of rejection. Secondly, we finish strong when we remain, we remain convinced in facing the unknown, in spite of the unknown. We finish strong when we stay connected to the way, the truth, and the life. And we finish strong by leaving an honorable legacy. I want to go back to our characters here for a minute. Joseph was not very well known in Scripture, nor has he been talked about much, but Joseph of Arimathea was a man who was titled that in Scripture because he needed to be distinguished. So they would talk about people in the community they were from. So this Joseph to separate him from other Joseph was identified by the community he lived in. Joseph Arimathea was one who had invested his life in serving God's people. He had invested his life and his resources. Here he is, a person of many means. I'm going to just tell you quickly. So he was a part of the council or the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was the ruling council for the Jews regarding religious, civil, or criminal matters before it was handed off to the Roman government. So they were the top level of uh, intercession or mediation or advocacy before it left their hands and went into the Romans' control. So this man, he'd invested his life, and he was opposed to what the Sanhedrin did when they brought him to be charged, right? It was the Sanhedrin who charged Jesus and resulted in his crucifixion. But scripture tells us that Joseph, uh, in uh, Mark chapter 15, verse 51, that he, in fact, rejected that plan. He said, that is wrong. 
Maybe he didn't elaborate on why it was wrong, but he rejected it. We know that um, Nicodemus is a little better known. He also is a man of means. He also is a man who has invested his life. And he come to realize, because he watched from a distance what was happening through the ministry of Jesus, that this was just not an ordinary teacher. This was not just an ordinary person who was, you know, uh, creating a little group of followers. But this man had something on his life. This man was seeing things happen in a way that no other teachers they had been around had had those kind of results. And so Nicodemus, in his heart, had become a follower of Jesus like Joseph. But he was fearful. And scripture says he came at night. And he came at night because he was afraid of being identified as a radical. He was afraid of being identified as someone that had betrayed his own people and as a leader in the faith community. But nevertheless, Nicodemus had come with Joseph to the governor, Pilate, and they had requested the body of Jesus, and they took it. Now, this is a big moment for them. They had been in the shadows. They had been quiet. They had been silent. They had been covert. They had been, you know, uh, under the radar, so to speak. But this is a big moment. Because at this moment, they are making a change. And they're saying, we are going to go public. We are going to, we're going to go out publicly. And we are going to manage the body of this man that we highly regard and respect. They didn't know what the future held for him. But they had decided, we are going to do what's right in our own heart, in our own mind. And we're going to manage this feudal process for Jesus. And here they go, the two of them. They may have had help, I don't know. But the two of them took the body of Jesus and they headed over to Joseph's tomb. Now, this hundred pounds of spices that they had, you know, that they didn't conceal that in a robe. They had that in some large container, probably being pulled by a donkey or something, you know, to get it to the... They were public. They were coming out publicly and saying... We have made a choice and a decision, and we are going to finish strong in our relationship with Jesus. That's what we need to say today, amen? Regardless of what is around us, regardless of what we're afraid of, we're going to finish strong in our relationship with Jesus. We're not going to be ashamed of him. We're not going to be intimidated. You see, their fear in the past had silenced their faith. Their fear had caused them to not publicly demonstrate their faith. And so they had come to a point and they had come to realize we got to move past this. You know, Barna, the uh, institute, Barna's Research Institute says that we're in a spiritual decline in our nation. So there's a razor-thin margin of 51% people in America today that believe in biblical values. It used to be, about 30 years ago, it used to be 73%. So it went from 73 to 51. Now, just follow me for a minute. And then we, we also find out that this decline from 73 to 51, the greatest decline... Hold on, was among Pentecostals. It dropped from 73 and it went down 27 points in the last 30 years. Why is that? Why is that? Those people that you saw on the screen back in 1924 looked like they were pretty happy to me, looked like they were pretty public to me, looked like they were pretty passionate about what was going on in their heart and their life and they wanted people to know he is the way, the truth and the life. He is the one that can radically change you. Come and be a part of us. But the enemy has a way of of causing people to 
to lose her voice. It caused people to lose their ability to demonstrate their faith. You know, the scripture says he comes to kill and steal and destroy. I, I think he steals our faith. I think he tries to steal our voice. I think he tries to steal our commitment. I think he tries to steal our activity that demonstrates that we are going to finish strong. He tries to steal that from us like he did. He tried that for Nicodemus and Joseph, but it didn't work. And the reason it didn't work is because they realized something that you and I need to realize today. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Fear is not God's plan for my life. Can you say that with me? Fear is not God's plan for my life. One more time. Fear is not God's plan for my life. No, no fear is to take place in your heart to cause you to get to the point where you're afraid to share your faith or to demonstrate who you are in Christ. Now, Peter said, it's going to get tough sometimes. You're going to have challenges but he says in 1 Peter 3, 13 through 15, and who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. They put it on the line. They knew they could suffer. They knew they could not only be ridiculed, but they could lose their positions in the, on the Sanhedrin court. And Peter said, you, you, you will be you will be persecuted, even if you should suffer for righteousness. That you are, but you are blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always, always, always be ready to give a defense to everyone, everyone, everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's the word that you and I should hold dear in our heart and finish strong with today. Amen? Amen. Always give a reason. Always give a reason. Always hold on. Always declare who we are in Christ and move forward. Hallelujah. That fear of rejection has got to be broken off of us. It's got to be broken off of us individually. We have to let go of it. You know, I walk, in a, I walk in a different world than many people. I walk, I'm an ordained minister, and I walk in a secular world of ministry. I walk in a strange world, and uh, I've had to face all kinds of people in gover- government. I've had to, to deal with people who, personally, they hated what I represented. They hated the faith that we uh, had at core value of who we are and what we're about. They, they didn't like that at all. But I, would, I walked, and I still walk among them. But they know who I am. They know who I am. And God has protected us. Oh, there are those who say, we got to get that crazy nut out of this foster care business. You know, he's, he's helped thousands and thousands of kids and, and have had hundreds and hundreds of kids adopted into Christian family. we got to get this nut out of this of this business. And they've tried. And they've tried to shame me, embarrass me. They've, they've tried, you know, Rick, you know, he's, he's that guy that, you know, he's a little different than we are. But I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed. And I will finish strong. And, it, and God has honored that. Has it been easy? No. But let me just brag on God for a minute. So we have grown in 17 years. We have grown from one little program in one location to be not only here in the valley, but now we're over on the coast. We're down in Southern California. We're getting ready to expand to the counties north of Kern County. And we went from one little program and now we're getting ready to open our seventh program. And I'm telling you, we're not quitting. We're not quitting because God needs us all to stand up and speak up and be proud of our relationship in Christ. We finished strong. 
when we remain convinced in spite of the unknown. You know, when those guys, they took Jesus' body to the tomb, they were, um, like most of us, they were dealing with the reality of what was in front of them. All they could see was the body of someone they loved and respected, and now he's dead. They were just dealing with what they could see and what they were experiencing. And that's the way we face life at times. We look at the immediate. They didn't know. They had no idea that the victory that God had planned right ahead of them. They had no idea that even though what they were doing was honorable, that God had another plan and God had a bigger plan. And God was going to take their little efforts and he was going to break Jesus out of a grave. Amen? And create the wonderful movement of Christianity that has impacted the world and millions and millions and millions of people have come into a right relationship with God. Those two men had no idea. But they were convinced of one thing. This man was who he said he was. You know, Paul writes an interesting testimony to Timothy in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know in whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. That's a powerful testimony. I know in whom I have believed. Can you say that today? Is, is Jesus real to you today? Is, is your relationship with him alive today? I know in whom I have believed in. And I am persuaded. That word persuaded means I am absolutely convinced. No doubt. No hesitation. Nothing there. But con- I'm fully convinced. You know, sometimes when you're fully convinced, you've got to take some risk. I remember many years ago, Jane and I were planning to attend a conference, and uh, we would always go up to this conference. We would fly out of L.A. into Reno. We'd rent a car, and then we would drive to where the conference was at. And um, this particular year, for whatever crazy reason, instead of us getting on a 737 jumbo liner jet, we were put on a little prop job, a little 20 passenger plane. Jane hates little planes. Put me on a jet. You know, I want some comfort. I want some security. I want to know that thing is, has energy to go, go, go and get me there. And when we walked into that corridor, and we started going down and not up, and I thought, oh, this is interesting. We're going downstairs, and we got down to the, the cement, and then I saw the plane. I thought, oh, this is going to be an interesting ride. So we get on that little 20-passenger plane, and uh, Jane and I sit down. We are seated over one of the wings, and it's a very jovial group of people on this plane. There's only about 18, 20 of us. But I came to realize quickly that most of these people were a part of a group. because They were all talking to each other and laughing. And um, I thought, well, that's great. You know, they're, they're having a good time. And I'm thinking, where are they all going? So pilot comes on and says, you know, today we're flying from here up to Mammoth Lake in that area. And then we're flying on into Reno. I thought, oh, we'll have a scenic ride, beautiful ride. Why not? Let's do this. So we take off. And about 30 minutes into the flight, the atmosphere, not only outside, but inside changed. Because we flew right into a storm. I mean, it was dark. And you you could feel the wind you know, and this is a small plane, so you could really feel the wind. And, and, and not only were you feeling the wind, but there were air pockets. You know what an air pocket is? And, and so every so often we would drop about 
you know, 30 feet, and, you know, you feel like you're totally out of control. You're just dropping, dropping. And, uh, you know, Jane's holding onto my arm. You know, I thought my arm was going to somehow keep her from falling. Or All I know is I couldn't feel anything in my arm for a while, you know. And, and, and she's looking at me, and I'm looking at her. And the room that had been really jovial was now quiet. No, nobody was laughing. Once in a while, you'd hear a, Ooh! Ooh! and you'd see a little bag that come up from the back of the seat in front of them, and they were contributing to those bags, right? And I'm thinking, oh, God, have mercy on us. Help us here, Lord, to, to get through this. And, I mean, we're just... Uh, we are on a roller coaster ride. And so, Pilate comes back on and he says, uh, Due to the weather that we're encountering, we're going to have to make an emergency landing. And so he starts descending. And as he's descending, I'm looking, I'm sitting by the window and by the wing. And as I'm looking outside, I'm also looking at the wing. And now I see ice on the wing. And that's not good, right? If you understand that, that's not a good thing to have happen. But I'm not saying anything, but I'm seeing this ice on the wing. So we're descending. And I'm looking for an airport. And I'm not seeing an airport. I'm thinking, where are we going, you know? And so eventually, he gets down close enough, I see what you would consider a runway that would be used for a crop duster. Anybody know what a crop duster is? You know, it's a plane that farmers use to, you know, to put chemicals on their crops. We see this little crop duster runway and a little building. I'm thinking, is that where we're going? And he's bringing that plane down. And as he's bringing it down, it's just rocking and it's turning and it's just moving us all about. And it's silent. It's very quiet in this plane. And I'm watching. And as he gets close to the ground, he's about 15 feet off the ground. And there's so much turbulence that the plane, instead of it being lined up to the runway, the plane was angled to the right. I'm thinking, how in the world is he going to land this plane on this runway with it angled to the right? And so he's getting down, and right before he hits the ground, he turns it. He turns it straight, and we have a kind of a, you know, bouncing the ball process going on. And um, so as soon as he tacks it into this little building, he gets back on the intercom and says to the people, those of you that are going to the resort to go skiing, you are going to be picked up here by a bus. And they're just all screaming and clapping. And, you know, they're just having a wonderful time. And they couldn't get off the plane fast enough. So we're getting off the plane. And Jane says to me, I'm not getting back on that plane. You are going to rent me a car. I think I'll rent you a car. I don't think I could rent you a donkey out here, let alone a car. <laughs> and so, you know, the weather's still bad. And so we get out and we go inside this little building. And I hear the pilot talking on his phone to somebody about what they had and whether he should continue flying the plane into Reno. So these other people begin to leave the building, get on the bus. They were leaving, and there was probably four of us left. And so he comes over to us. He says, well... I've been on the phone talking about this situation. I'm going to get back on the plane, and I'm flying to Reno. And I would, I would invite you to go with me.
We weren't persuaded at that point to get back on that plane. In fact, I had a person that if she'd had her way, would have said, no, we're just going to camp out here for as long as we have to camp out here, and this is the end of the trip, you know. But I started pondering to myself, this pilot is willing to get back on the plane. It's his life. It's his career. It's his professional expertise that has come into play here. And he said, I'm going to get back on and I'm going to fly. And so... Let's just say Jane and I had a conversation. (laughs) We had a conversation about getting back on the plane. And then, reluctantly, she said, okay, I'll go with you. We get back on the plane, takes off. We get right back into this herky-jerky, bumpy, you know, I'm thinking, oh, God, what did we just do, you know? And about 15 minutes of that, and then we were out of it. We were out of it, and we were into smooth skies, and the rest of the trip was wonderful. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed. I know my pilot. My pilot is the best there is, and he's not going to misguide me. He's not going to take me somewhere that's going to cause me to crash. I know in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to keep that which I've committed to him. I want you to hear something today. If we're going to finish strong, we have to ask ourselves, how convinced are we that our pilot is able to keep that which we've committed to him, whatever that is today. And I know there's a lot of pain in people's lives. I understand that. I understand people walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I understand that you get reports that you don't want to get from doctors. I understand you get pink tickets and are laid off from your job because of the economy. And I understand relationships become difficult and fractured. But I want you to know something today. He wants us to finish strong. He wants us to finish strong. And we can finish if we're convinced. We can finish if we truly know and believe and are convinced that he can get us through the other side. Amen? If you believe that today, would you give him praise? Would you give him a praise this morning? I'm going to go to my fourth point because I'm getting close to running out of runway here. So I want to, I want to respect the time. Finishing strong requires us to leave a godly legacy. As I've gotten older, I've thought more about this whole concept of legacy. And it doesn't matter what your past has been like. You may have had a past like Joseph and Nicodemus who were afraid to even let anybody know that they believed in Jesus but they got to the point where they made the right choice and because of the right choice, their legacy was changed. And so it's never too late to change your legacy. It's never too early to start working on a legacy. Regardless of your age, whether you're young or you're elderly, whether you're a new Christian or you're a mature Christian, it's never, never inappropriate to work on your legacy. Because that's what we leave behind to others that will follow us in their walk with God. There's a passage of scripture that all of us have read but maybe have not thought much about. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6. This is when God had given Moses the Ten Commandments. And in the middle of that, 
Beginning in verse 5, and the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But show mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. That is a sobering, but also also a very powerful verse. And if I may, I just want to break it down for a minute. The word iniquity that is referenced in that verse has to do with generational dysfunction. Bible even refers to as curses. It's really about habitual behaviors. It's about character. It's, it's about, about how that behaviors are passed on from one generation to the next generation. And God said, this dysfunctional behavior that is, that is totally away from me and out of my plan for their lives, it can be passed on for four generations. It's happening today. You've seen it all around you. You've seen how family habits have been passed on, addictions, behaviors, uh, things that you wonder like, why does that keep happening in my family? Why does that keep happening? It's because it's iniquity. But I don't want you to focus on that. What I want you to focus on is God says, however, for the righteous, I'll pass their blessing on to thousands. Amen? Amen? He has a promise to us not just for three or four generations, but he's got a promise. You keep your eyes on me and you keep your heart committed to me and you keep your life in relationship with me and I will bless the future that comes out of you. I will bless the generations that come out of you. You say, how in the world is that possible? You don't know how dysfunctional my family is. Well, if it were left up to me, I probably couldn't help you. But Galatians 3 gives us a solution. Galatians 3, 13 and 14. Here it is. Here's your solution. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. He has redeemed us from those generational dysfunctions. How did he do that? How did he make that happen? Having become a curse for us. A lot more went on when Jesus hung on the cross than a lot of people realize. When he was on that cross, he had taken on the curses of messed up people. And because of that, because it says he had become a curse for us for his written curses, everyone who hangs on a tree. And he did that because he wants the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So what he is saying here, Paul is saying to the Galatians, Jesus is the radical solution to your dysfunctional past. And I don't care if you've been here for decades or if you are new to this church today. God has a plan for you to live at a level that is in Christ Jesus that sets you free from things that followed your family along. You know, it's, it's amazing. If you study history, and, you, and, and I have, I've studied lots of history, and you can, you can look at criminals who are just generations of criminals coming out of that. You know, they're just criminal from dad to son to their son to their son. But Jesus says, I'm the one. I can take care of that for you. So as we close, because we need to close, how do we leave the right legacy? How do we finish strong? 
First, we make sure that we have said yes to Jesus. And if you're here in this room today, if you don't know him, or if you're not living in relationship with him, your first step to leaving uh, the right legacy and to finishing your life strong is to say yes to Jesus. He is a way. He is a truth. He is a life. No man can come to the Father except by him. And so today, he is the first step for you. If you say yes to him, he'll say yes to you. And then secondly, we practice our priorities. What does that mean? If your faith is important to you, it needs to be obvious to your family that your faith is important to you. If your worship is an important part of who you are and your walk, then your family, dads, your family needs to see you worshiping. Dads, your family need to see you down here praying. Moms, your family need to see you here praying and seeking God because that is how we demonstrate our priorities to the next generation that's following us. Thirdly, we pass it on as we just live it out in our day-to-day life. You know, Deuteronomy 6 has some interesting words. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. I impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. So what, what it's being said here is your faith needs to be a part of your everyday life. Faith should not be a Sunday event. Our relationship with God should not just be, let's go to church. But your faith should be lived out among your family. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're not going to get it wrong. It doesn't mean that we're not going to make mistakes. But it means that we're going to, to stay connected. We're going to stay connected. And we're going to keep going. And we're going to apologize. And we're going to ask for forgiveness. And we're going to pray together. And we're going to keep sharing our faith as a family. Why is that? Because that's the legacy that you need to pass to them so they can use that legacy as they continue their relationship with God. Number four, we remind ourselves that our legacy is important. It must be intentional. It must be intentional. We must, in other words, it has to be in our forethought, in our planning. It has to be purposeful. Five, we must keep our legacy connected to what is important to God. And I know that we have legacy that's more than our spiritual life. I know we have material legacy we leave and financial legacy we leave. But it can't be more important than the part that God says, pass your faith on. Pass it on. Make sure it stays intact. Paul asks a question to Galatians in chapter 3. Having begun in the spirit... Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? There's some important questions that we need to ask ourselves about what is important to us as we pass on a legacy to our families. As we close this morning, I want to read a prayer to you that I have prayed for my kids and my grandkids for a while now. And if you'd like to have a copy of it, I'd be more than happy to provide you a copy later. This is a prayer over my children and grandchildren. By the word of God, the blood of Jesus, and the spirit of God, I rebuke all principalities, powers, and rulers from passed down ancestral ungodly covenants through my family line to my children and grandchildren. What did I do? I just broke off that generational dysfunction. Amen? I plead the blood of Jesus to cancel every form of violence, anger, abuse, hatred, unforgiveness, pride, greed, selfishness, pornography, lust, sexual promiscuity, sexual perversion, sexual addiction, 
cancer, heart disease, diabetes, ulcers, high blood pressure, blindness, mutinous, deafness, mental illness, nervous breakdown, unfaithfulness, manipulation, bitterness, revenge, and all word curses and generational curses. I rebuke premature death, physically, emotionally, and spiritually over my children and my grandchildren's minds, souls, spirit, and body in the name of Jesus. I declare that the word of God over my children and grandchildren all the days of their life, that no weapon formed against them shall prosper. Amen. I declare to you today that they shall overcome every dart, every weapon of confusion, smoke screen, manipulation, witchcraft, worldly, unholy, ungodly spirits, every spirit and thought that exalts itself against the knowledge and the power of God will be defeated because as the scripture declares in all of these things, my children are more than conquerors through him who loved him. For I am convinced, there's that word convinced, and believe today that no weapon will be able to separate my children from God's love that is revealed in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8. They will endure all things, but children and grandchildren will overcome all things. For God has given them authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the powers of the enemy, nothing will harm them. Nothing will injure them. Nothing will overcome. Because greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world. By his blood and through his death and resurrection, in Jesus' name I pray. You don't have to pray this prayer. You can ask God to give you your own prayer, but if you'd like to have a copy, but we'll make it available to you. I'll leave it with Nathan, and um, he can make you a copy if you'd like it. But talking about prayer, I want us to come back to the moment that we're in as we close. There's a cloud of witnesses cheering you on and they're saying, finish strong, finish strong, finish strong, BFA. They're cheering you on today. Finish strong, BFA. You you are a great church. You have a great history. You have a great footprint. You have a great history of fruitfulness. Finish strong, BFA. I'm believing that with you, amen? I'm believing that with you today, that you're gonna finish strong. And then... We want to pray today and ask God to help us to finish strong individually. So if you don't mind, if you'll bow your eyes or bow your heads, close your eyes. I just want to talk to people this morning that may be here that don't know Jesus. Today can be a historic day in your life. Today can be vitally important in your life. And It is a day that can begin a new legacy for yourself and for your family by just simply acknowledging who Jesus is. That's what Joseph and Nicodemus did. They acknowledged who he was and come to realize, yes, he is the son of God. And if you're here and you need and you want that today, would you raise your hand? Say, yes, I want to acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God. Just raise your hand. If you're here and you don't know Christ, and then today, if you're here, and I hope this speaks to a lot of us, and you want to make a commitment to finish strong as a church, as an individual, in relationship to your personal walk and with your family, I'd like for you to stand up and just come down to the front here. And just by coming to the front, you're just simply saying to God, I'm committed to finishing strong. I'm committed, God, to doing what you would want me to do with the help of the Holy Spirit. I want to finish strong. Is that you? If that's you, just stand up and walk down here. Sure, just walk down here today. Amen. Amen. Bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Nathan, you just want to lead them in worship this morning? From this point on, it's between you and God. I'll come and pray with some of you, but at this moment, it's between you and God what's ahead of your life. God bless you.
over every heart and every mind. Cause I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus. I just want to speak the name of Jesus. Every dark addiction starts to break. We declare it this morning. Declaring there is hope and there is freedom. I speak Jesus. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. And I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. Every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. Your name, your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadow. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the street, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Let's sing it again together. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains. Jesus in the street, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Let's declare it this morning, come on, raise our voice, shout Jesus from the mountain, Jesus in the streets, over every enemy Jesus for my family I speak the holy name Jesus His power in His name Your name is power Your name is healing Your name is life Break it receive it this morning and I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind cause I know there is peace within his presence I speak Jesus to receive that this morning Let's seal it with a prayer. Lord, we have heard your word this morning. God, we declare this morning, Lord Jesus, that the bondage would break off the family today, Lord. You are paving a new legacy for my family. Declare it today for my family. 
new legacy in Jesus name. Oh, we thank you, Lord. Give him praise this morning for releasing the chains of bondage off of our lives. Yes. As you can see, I love my dad a lot and I hope you were blessed by his words today. Yeah, I'm living in that legacy. Thank the Lord. You've been listening to Bakersfield First Assembly's weekly broadcast. BFA is located on the corner of California and Marilla Way. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. in person and online on Facebook and YouTube. For more information, check out our website, bakersfieldfirst.com, or download our app from the App Store.